Okay, sorry about that. So, again, um, hi, Melanie, there's a paper there. So, Parsha's Korah, just an overview. So, we start with the rebellion, and then the 250 people who brought incense. So, Hashem said to take their pans and to melt them down, should be a cover for the Mizbeach. Then afterwards, because Aaron HaKohen, his priesthood was challenged, Hashem, um, this amazing story, Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu to collect sticks, the staffs, from each of the tribes and put them in the Mishkan and Aaron's staff was in the middle and it blossomed miraculously and grew almonds and so on. And that, by the way, that stick afterwards was kept. It was, the blossoms were always there and it was kept in the first temple. It was there throughout the first temple, the first Besamikdash in Eretz and was hidden together with the Ark. Just as the, like just as the second the end of the first Besamikdash, the Ark was hidden, so was the stick. Um, then we have also a mitzvah of Shmira Samikdosh, the mitzvah of guarding, protecting uh, the Mishkan and subsequently the Beis Samikdosh in Yerushalayim. There were always, always the, uh, around the temple, there was always Levim or Kohanim who stood guard there. Not so much to protect it from thievery, but more as a sign of honor, sort of to show that it's the king's palace and so on. And then towards the end of the Pasha, we have a long section to do with Matnois Kahuna, which is all the gifts that were given to the Kohanim. Because we know the Kohanim and Levim didn't actually have a portion in the land of Israel, and therefore they were supported by the gifts that were given to them, the various tithing and the separations and so on that were given to them by the Yidin who lived around Eretz Israel. Okay. Now, in years gone by, in the story of Korach, we've shared many different perspectives on, on the whole story and insights and so on, but... Today we'll just share a few other ideas to do with Parshish Korach. So first of all, it's not clear, just to clarify a little bit, because it's not clear when you read the beginning of Parshish Korach, it's not actually clear what he wanted. Because as is the nature of people that lead conflict and divisiveness and create rebellions, they actually end up contradicting themselves and they actually don't know what they wanted there. But nevertheless, there's an evolution of how it all began, if we look in the Rashi. So... Just have a look. Let's just have a look at the at the handout for a moment, and let's have a look at the, at the sukkim. So, if you have a look at number one, the pasuk tells us, "Vayikach koirach, koirach took." What does it mean? He took. Rashi says he took himself to a, to a separate side. He divided himself, and he started a machloikas. He started a conflict. Who was koirach ben Yitzar, the son of Yitzar, the son of Kohas ben Kohas ben Levi, the Dosan and Aviram? He took Dosan and Aviram, who were two well-known troublemakers, Bnei Eliyav, and also the Oin Ben Peles. He took Oin Ben Peles, Bnei Reuven, who came from Reuven. By Yakumul if Moshe, and they all stood up in front of Moshe. Va'anoshim ibnei Yisrael, Chamishim and Masayim, and they were actually, they took with them 250 people who were prominent people. The C.A. Edo, they were leaders of the congregation. Kriye Moshe, they were sort of chosen, they were Designated people, Anche shame, men of men of repute. Who messed up, obviously, but al Moshe al Aaron, and they gathered against Moshe and Aaron. By Yoimru Aleim, and they said to them, Rav Lachem, it's enough already. Kichol, and this is the next word seems to be the key uh, phrase. Kichol ho Eida Kulam Kedoshim, the entire congregation is holy. Uvesoicham Hashem, God is among all of us. And why do you hold yourself higher than the rest of the congregation? Right? Okay. 
So we need to understand, first of all, where does this come from? What sparked this? What triggered this rebellion? And also, how did the rebellion carry out? What did Kerach actually do? So let's have a look at number two and number three. They're both quotes from Rashi on the Parsha. So Rashi says the following in number two. Why did Koirach begin to argue with Moshe Rabbeinu? Says Rashi, He was jealous of the appointment of the leadership of a fellow called Elitzofon ben Uzil, who was his cousin, who was appointed He was designated, he was appointed to be the leader of the Kahos family. Now, the, the tribe of Levi was divided into four families, Gershon, Kohos, and Merari. And each one had their leader. And this Elitzot Meruzil was chosen to be the leader of the Kohos family, which got Koirach really upset. Why? Omar, Koirach, Koirach said like this. Achei Abba, Arboim My father was one of four. In other words, my grandfather was Kohos. My father, Kohos, had four sons. Shenemar, as it says, Zuvnei Kaos, who was the sons of Kaos? Amram HaBechoyr. So Kaos had four children. Amram was the older one. So not Lushnei Bon of So Amram's two sons got greatness. Moshe and Aaron. Right? Moshe and Aaron were the children of the oldest son of Kaos. Right? Echod Melech, one became the king. Echod Kohen Godel, and one became the Kohen Godel. Mi Roi Little Esashnia. So who should take the second appointment? Loyani, shouldn't it be me? Shani ben Yitzar, I am the son of Yitzar. Shahu Shani la Amram. Yitzar was the second son of Amram. Right? What does Moshe Rabbeinu do? He goes and appoints Elitzofan ben Uziel, who was the son of the youngest son of Kahos. Reini Choylek, all of therefore I'm going to stage a rebellion, argue with him, umavatel Zdvarov, and cancel his words. Okay, so that's how it started. We know that later it manifested itself in other things. Don't forget, he wasn't also, the, the nature of conflict is interesting because people who lead rebellions and re- lead conflict get people to join them, right? The problem is that because it's divisive people, normally each one actually wants their own agenda. So we find that, you know, you create a, you create a group of rebellion, but they're not all fighting for the same thing because they each... The nature of rebellion is based on ego, and ego is everyone wants their own thing. So therefore, in the, in the 250 people, or the people he took with him, each one wanted something else. So what became the main rebellion, or the main uh, challenge of the other groups, the other people in the group, wasn't so much about the, leader, the leadership of Elitzofa, the leadership of the Kohos family, because they weren't even a part of the Kohos family. They were the people from the tribe of Ruvain, right? So when they joined, their, their emphasis, and this is how you see it playing in the Psukim, the emphasis became the rebellion against the appointment of Aaron as the sole Kohen. And they said, why are you the sole Kohen? Why, why do we need leadership altogether? We're all equal. That we can also be Kohenim. Not only Kohenim, we can even be Kohenim Gedolim. Right? Which is why Moshe Rabbeinu told them to the next morning they're going to experiment and they're going to, each one of the 250 people are going to bring Katars. They're going to offer up incense in the Holy of Holies, which is normally reserved for the Kohenim or the Kohen Gadol. And we'll see if it works. And didn't work, and they were all punished, and so on. Okay, but so so that was the sort of evolution of how this whole conflict began. But as Rashi explains, based on the Medrash, the way Koirah began his challenge was in the following way. Let's have a look. I'm learning with you inside because I want to actually share something about this concept. Let's see number three. 
It says, Me'asa. So what, is, what did he do, says Rashi? Amad ve'konas masayim ve'chamishim roshay sanadrois. Koyrak got up and he gathered 250 heads of Sanhedrin, like people, prominent people. Ruban mishavid ru'uvein shcheinav. Most of them were from the tribe of Ruven. Um, it's interesting that why specifically the tribe of Ruven? I mean, other tribes also had. So if you know how to, so again, Korach was from the family of Yitzhar, right? Kohos. And the way they camped in the Midbar, so the Mishkan was in the middle. Surrounding the Mishkan was four parts of the Levi family, the three families, and then Moshe, Aaron and his two sons. And then the four groups of the, uh, what we call the flags, which each flag of three tribes was around. The neighbors of Koirach was Ruven. And that's why the Gemara tells us, Oyle Rosha, Oyle Shechenoi. Woe is to the wicked, woe is to his neighbor. The importance of a good neighbor is very, very important because the environment influences. So the people of Ruven got caught up. Why did they get caught up? Because they were neighbors of Koirach and they didn't watch themselves. Okay. So he gathered 250 people from the tribe of Ruven. There was a Litzur ben Shteir and his friends, and so on. They were important people. As the Pasuk says, says Rashi, leaders of the congregation. And what does the word mean? Later on it says, by the Meraglim, these are the prominent people of the congregation. What did he do? He, all, he put on them garments which were filled with tcheles. Tcheles is the dye. So just to give you the context for those who are not 100% clear with this. So in the Torah there's a mitzvah of tzitzis. It was the end of last week's parasha, which is the connection also. And the Torah says if you have a four-cornered garment, you have to put tzitzis, which is strings. But actually there's a second mitzvah, and, that's, and that is that one of these strings need to be dyed with a bluish color called tcheles, which comes from a fish or a snail, called chilozoim. Okay. And... Uh, we don't do it today, or actually many people do do it today. It's, it's made a comeback in the last... It's a very fascinating topic in its own right. Uh, whether we do know what the chilozin is, we don't know what the chilozin is, but, but uh, in some communities it's made a comeback, some communities have resisted the comeback and say it'll only, become a, it'll only come around when Mashiach comes. But it used to be throughout the Bote Mikdosh, the first temple, the second temple, and so on, and then it got lost. Um, we didn't know what it was. And then, again, there's a lot of research, a lot of resurgence of it, but some people still, still say we don't know. Okay. But Allah, if you do know, if it's available, you're supposed to use it. And the cover, uh, uh, dyeing the one strand of the eight tzitzis, sort of in each corner, covers the garment. So what did he do? He took these garments, and they were not only one strand dyed, the whole garment was dyed to chelis. They came and they stood in front of Moshe. A garment that's filled, fully dyed with chelis, does it need does it need tzitzis or doesn't need tzitzis? Amalehens Moshe Rabbeinu said, "Chayevus, it does need tzitzis." So ischilu l'sachik all of they started to laugh. This was their challenge. This is how they staged the rebellion, because they said, "Efshe talish shul min acher." Could it be possible that you have a garment which has um, one strand? Uh, it has one strand of blue. And that poitra, it covers the whole garment. If the whole garment is treles, like tifteres asfo, shouldn't it take care of itself? Right, that was his challenge. Okay. So let's have a look at a couple of things. First of all, let's understand the timing of this machlaikah, the timing of this conflict. 
So the Ramban says that what's again, so according to most Mufarshim, the order is the way it's written. This Pasha of Koirach comes after the Pasha of the spies, which is last week's Pasha, right? Says the Ramban, very simple. Parshas, the original plan is didn't come out of Mitzrayim. Moshe Rabbeinu is the undisputed leader, leads them out of Mitzrayim, gives them the Torah at Har Sinai from Hashem. And then they travel and they're about to go into Eretz Yisrael, right? Um, just to give you the timeline, so they went, in fact, interestingly enough, the, uh, t- today is Chof Chesiv on the 28th of Sivan, which is the day the Meraglim, the spies, left. They actually left to Israel on the 28th of Sivan and came back on Tisha B'av, right? Which is 40 days later. Now, if you look at the context of that timeline, it's very simple. The timeline is, they didn't come out of Mitzrayim on Pesach, which wasn't that long ago. Seven weeks later, they get the Torah. Forty days. Um, I'm sorry, this is a year later, sorry. They, 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 they get the Torah, then they sit in the golden calf. Then they go all the way to Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, they get the second tablets. Then they build the Mishkan. Mishkan is erected the first of Nisan, right? A year later. And then 28th of Sivan, they're about to leave and they're about to go into Eretz but they just spend, they just send spies. They're waiting for the spies to come back and they're about to go into Israel. Suddenly, explosion, disaster, the, the spies come back and make tzaras. And Moshe Rabbeinu from Hashem gives over a message that they're now landed in the desert for 40 years. Says the Ramban, all of a sudden, they didn't like Moshe Rabbeinu so much. That's what happens, you know. The honeymoon, the honeymoon period is over. And Moshe Rabbeinu was supposed to deliver. He's not delivering from Hashem. Not from Hashem, but the bottom line is that it's not going to happen. So there's a sense of dislike. And that sowed the seeds for the possibility of such a rebellion even taking place. That's what the Ramban says on a very simple level. The Kedusha Slevi, the Badish um, Varov, goes into a whole philosophical idea. And he says that the, uh, it's a bit deeper than that. He says what happened was, we know that the generation that came out of De- Mitzrayim, known as the Dor HaMidbar, the generation of the desert, they were actually at a much higher spiritual level than the people who went into Israel later, right? And he says, based on Kabbalah, that the people who left Egypt, they were on the level of Dibrut. In other words, everything was much more abstract. They weren't so much part of the world of action, which is why in the desert itself, there weren't so many physical mitzvahs like you do later. It's only when they went into Eretz Yisrael, they had all the agricultural mitzvahs and all the, the tangible mitzvahs and so on. The, the existence in the desert was much more spiritual. Whereas the, and that's why they were called the Dor HaMidbar, the Dor of the desert. Midbar comes to the word Dibur, which is to speak. It's more communicative. It's, more, it's less tangible and more sort of spiritual, like, like words are. Right? Whereas the uh, generation that goes into Eretz Yisrael was supposed to be the, the, the door of action, they the generation of action, and therefore they sort of bring Hashem more down to the world of tangible, the world of action. However, the way it was supposed to happen is that the nature of those who are holy and belong to the generation of Dibur, of speech, are supposed to have the ability to descend, to take that holiness and spirituality, which is in the world of speech, and bring it down to the world of action. Suddenly, Koyach realized that it's not going to happen. So he decides that Moshe Rabbeinu is therefore imperfect. He's not as great as he thought he was. He thought he was an unbelievable tzaddik and he was leading a generation that belonged to the world of speech but with the ability then to take it and implement it and transfer it and bring it down to the world of action. Now he sees this can't happen. And therefore he rebels against Moshe Rabbeinu. 
And he says that's one of the reasons that Kairach later was punished by being swallowed up by the earth. Because Middo connected Middo, because it obviously wasn't true. Of course, Moshe Rabbeinu was the greatest tzaddik and had the ability to bring it down to the world of, of action. But the, but the generation wasn't worthy. They sinned with the Miragli. To prove that to Kairach, he was swallowed down by the earth, which is a symbol of coming all the way down to the lowest form of existence. In other words, like Middo connected Middo, measure for a measure, and that's why that, that, that happened to him. But this also says another very little cute thing, and he says, going back to the Rashi, that the, the Machloikas began with Koyrach's jealousy of his cousin being appointed to be the leader, the leader of Kohos, Elitzofon Menuzil. So he says, I don't understand, if Koyrach's problem was with the appointment, the appointment happened a long time ago. Why now? Right? Why did he speak up when Elitzofon was appointed, which was almost a year before this? Right? So he says, very simple. Because Kairach thought, on a more simple level, he says, Kairach thought like this. No, Elitzofen was appointed, but it's a very temporary appointment. Because we're all about to go into Eretz Yisrael. So when we go into Eretz Yisrael, everything's changing. There's going to be a melech, a king, whatever. It'll be, the whole thing will be different. So, no, okay, it was appointed, big deal, I'll sit it out. Now he discovers, after the Prash of the Miraglim, no, we're here for the long haul. We're here for 40 years. In my face, this appointment of my cousin, who's the son of the youngest brother, we really, I should have that appointment. Then he, got, then he got upset, which again explains why this happened now after the Prussia of the Miraglim. Okay. On another level, which I've shared with you before, but just because we talk about the different various ideas of why it happened now, is of course the famous concept, because Kairach ended up, we'll come back to it later and discuss it in more detail, but Kairach ended up asking for complete equality. So there's no reason to have leadership, right? So why does it happen now? So the way it happens now is as follows. Because Moshe Rabbeinu, the, the, sorry, the, the spies went to Eretz Israel, right? The spies came back and dissuaded the Jews from going to Israel. Now we know one of the deeper ideas behind that, we've talked about this before, is they actually didn't want the Jews to go into Israel. Because they were worried. Why were they worried? They wanted the Jews to remain in the safe spiritual protection of the desert. The existence in the desert was much more spiritual. It was the man from heaven, the uh, physical needs all being taken care of by the clouds of glory. There was no reason for them to have to descend into the land of Israel and to, to, have to, to have to face the challenges which come from the material world and the material existence. And what happened? And they meant well, actually meant well, according to many Mepharshim. They sinned because Moshe Rabbeinu told them they'd make a fund, they, they had made a fundamental mistake. The purpose of creation is not to remain in the spiritual protection. The purpose of creation, as we've talked about many times, is to, to come down to the world of action, the world of the material, and bring Hashem into that world. It's then where Koirach leads a rebellion. Why? He says like this. If the world, if the mission of existence is a spiritual existence, I understand the necessity for leadership. Because everyone's different. People are different. Moshe Rabbeinu's spirituality is much greater than mine. Aaron Akoin's spirituality is much greater than mine. But now that you tell me after the whole failure of the Miraglim that no, the point of creation is the world of action, the world of physical mitzvahs, well, your tefillin and my tefillin are all the same tefillin. Your Shabbos candles and my Shabbos candles are all the same. In which case, what do we need leadership for? What do we need spiritual leadership for? We're all, we're all keeping the same mitzvahs. We're all doing the same thing. Of course, his mistake was that it's a combination of both. You... you, you of course, the, the purpose is to bring it all the way down 
to the physical existence, but you need spiritual leadership to get there. And of course, we need Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership and Aaron's leadership and so on and so forth. Okay. So, the, uh, another aspect of this Machlechus is from a Medrash. Now, I think I've shared this to you before. There's certain Medrashim which have a name. They're called Medrash Pliyon, which means like a wondrous Medrash, a cryptic Medrash. And these are the Kappa Medrashim that are known as this Medrash Pliyon and always need commentary to decode what the Medrash is actually trying to say. Right? So on this Pasha, there's a Medrash Pliyon. There's one of these strange, amazing Medrashim. What does the Medrash Pliyon say? Medrash Pliyon says, why did Koirach argue with Moshe Rabbeinu? Says the Medrash, He saw the mitzvah of the red heifer. Pora aduma. What's the mitzvah of aduma? If someone comes into contact with a dead body, um, that's the highest form of impurity. So then a person has to, won't be able to go to the Mikdash or eat sacrificial meat and so on, as long as they are Tomei. And the only way, most impurities, you become pure by going to a mikveh. Tumas Meis, becoming Tomei from having contact with a dead body, the only way to become a Torah is this Paraduma. Paraduma is the red heifer, which had to be completely red. It was slaughtered as a sacrifice, it was burnt. The ashes were mixed with spring water and they were sprinkled on the person who was Tomei throughout the seven day period, on the third day and on the seventh day. And then they became Torah. It's known as the ultimate chukas, the ultimate strange mitzvah, which we don't understand. Even Shlomo HaMelech said that he understood all the chukim, all the statutes of the Torah, which we don't have reasons he managed to understand. But this, this one he couldn't understand. This one he couldn't figure out. It's the ultimate mitzvah, which is beyond reason. Okay. Comes along the Medrash and says, How did Korach start at Machloikas against Moshe Rabbeinu? He saw the mitzvah of Paradum. What on earth does that mean? Right? Medrash Pliyah. An amazing Medrash. So there's a beautiful, beautiful pshat from a Rav called Rabbi Avram Breuder, who was the head of the basin of Prague afterwards, and later he moved to Germany in Frankfurt. He says like this. There's another Medrash that goes like this. That when, Moshe, when Kairach came to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, Kichol ha'eidah kulam kedoshim. Right? We just, we just um, learned that. Everyone's holy. Everyone's holy. Right? Why do we need leadership? So the Medrash says, what did Koyrach actually say? He used these words according to the Medrash. Koyrach said, they came to Moshe Rabbeinu and he said, I'll read it to you, I don't have, I don't have a copy of it, but he, the words of the Medrash are like this. He said to, he said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Loi atem levatchem shematem bahar Sinai. Not, not you, you, you were not the only ones to hear it har Sinai. Anoichi Hashem alekecho, I am Hashem your God. Kulam shamu b'Sinai. We all heard the words at Sinai, mipi hagvura from the word of God. Right? So, you're not the only one to have heard, I am Hashem your God at Har Sinai. We all heard it directly from, from God. Okay. Now, there's a, another medrash. Are you, holding, are you with me so far? Okay. There's another medrash that says, that we know when Hashem said, I am Hashem your God, right? Famous idea, we've said it many times. He said it in the singular, as if he was talking to one individual. Now, one idea is, we always talk about this around Shua's time, 
that, I, that although by Shavuos the nation became a nation, but Hashem speaks to every individual, so therefore it wasn't a singular. But there is a message that says something very different. That Hashem was talking to Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? He was giving Hashem, he was giving Moshe Rabbeinu almost an excuse, an out, a line of defense should the Jews mess up. Should the Jews mess up and serve Avodah serve idols, which would be in complete contradiction to the message of Hashem, I'm Hashem your God. God kind of built into the system a line of defense for Moshe Rabbeinu that he can come to Hashem and he can say, you weren't talking to them, you're talking to me. Right? You said to me, I'm Hashem your God. You wouldn't talk to the rest of the Jews, so why are you angry with them? That's a possible line of defense. That's what the Medrash says. Okay. Which is different to what Koirach said. Right? Koirach said, We all heard from Hashem, Anoichi Hashem Alekach. We all heard from Hashem, I'm Hashem, your God. Which, according to the second Medrash, is not entirely true. Anoichi Hashem Alekach is Moshe Rabbeinu heard, Anoichi Hashem Alekach. Right? So, which one is it? Okay. So originally, the thought was that only Moshe Rabbeinu heard Anoich Hashem Alekech. Or it was spoken to him. Everyone heard it, but it was spoken to him. However, we know that Hashem didn't exactly accept this line of defense. Why not? How do we know this? Comes along the golden calf. Hashem does get angry with the Jewish people. Okay, he forgives them. Line of defense was somewhat accepted, but not, 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 not entirely. And Hashem leaves us needing desperately an atonement for the golden calf, right? What's the atonement for the golden calf? So one was the Mishkan, but the other, Rashi says in Prashas Chukas, which is the Prasha of the Paraduma, where Rashi brings the name of his teacher, Reb Moshe Hadarshan, that why did Hashem give us a mitzvah of Paraduma, even though it's a choy, we don't really understand the mitzvah, but there's some understanding behind it, that it was all, and he gives the following analogy, that if you have a mother cow who has a calf, well, if you, have a, if you have a mother generally and, and, and the child messes up in the, in the palace of the king and uh, makes the palace dirty, it's the mother's job to come clean it up. So therefore, says Moshe Darshan, that's why Hashem gave us the paraduma, because the eagle as of the calf messed up. Right? We messed up with the calf. Golden calf. So tove aim, let the mother come and, and, and clean up the schmutz. That's the paraduma, that's the mother cow. All of a sudden, Kairach says, oh, one second. So the Yidin are all given a mitzvah of paraduma. This is what it means, the, med- the cryptic medrash. The Yidin were all given a mitzvah of paraduma. Why? Because we all need the atonement of the golden calf. And the paraduma is the symbol of the mother cleaning up the, the, the mess of the sun. Right? But that was given to all the Yidin. Ah, so anoichi Hashem aleikecha. I am Hashem your God. Applies to everyone, right? Hashem didn't accept the line of defense that it was a singular message to Moshe Rabbeinu. Because it's given to everyone. So Mukhoirach sees the mitzvah of Paraduma. So he sees that Hashem is angry with the entire nation to the point where we need a mitzvah of Paraduma to clean up the mitzvah, to clean up the mess. So he comes to Moshe Rabbein and he says, Ah, you weren't the only one to hear Anoichi Hashem We all heard Anoichi Hashem So why are you special? You understand? So that's the meaning of the Medrash that had Mukhoirach dare to argue with Moshe Rabbeinu because he saw the mitzvah of Paraduma. The mitzvah paraduma took away, removed this concept that it was only Moshe Rabbeinu who heard Anoichi Hashem Alekecha, I am Hashem your God. But in fact, that teaches us that really Anoichi Hashem Alekecha in truth was addressed to everyone in the nation. 
that's the case, he comes much better, well, we all recall. We all, we all saw the same Harsinai, we all heard the same message, so why are you special? Clear? Okay, now. Let's... Uh, Let's go back to the handout a second. Go, go on the other page. And let's see how this all plays out. So what's Moshe Rabbeinu's response? Okay, so that's the rebellion. That's how Moshe Rabbeinu starts the rebellion and so on. So what's the response? Let's have a look at number four. Koirach, so Moshe Rabbeinu speaks to Koirach, and he says, Boike, wait for the morning. Wait to, next, wait to tomorrow morning. And the Yoida Hashem is Hashem Loy, and Hashem will inform us who belongs to Him. Besakodesh and who is holy, Vikrivelov. Besashivchaboy Yakrivelov, who Hashem chooses, will come close to God. What, what, are you, what are you supposed to do? He says the following Let me tell you what to do, says Vaishravena. All of you guys. Kulochem Machtois, take pans. Pans. Koirach of Holadosa, Koirach and his full his mob, his whole mob. Usnubohanesh, put fire, put coals. Besimu alein ketoyres and place incense. Lifnei Hashem. Mochar tomorrow you'll see. V'hoyo ha'eish ashiyivchar Hashem hu akodesh. The person who Hashem chooses, he's the holy one. Rav lochem bnei Levi, you guys of Levi, it's enough already. Enough. You'll see. You'll, you'll check this out. You'll see who Hashem chooses. So what happens the next day? Obviously, they all bring ketoyres, and Hashem chose only Aaron, and the rest of the two hundred fifty people were actually consumed with fire. Just like Nodav and Avu, uh, when they brought Katoris, they weren't supposed to bring. But there was only one punishment. What was the other punishment that happened at that time? So let's go to number five. We're in the, in the height of the, of, of the conflict. Moshe Rabbeinu says to them the following. He says, I want you to know. He says, If these people will die a natural death like every other human being, Ufkudas kol odom yipoked alehem. And their lot will be, their memory will be the memory of every person. Then you should know, Allah Hashem, Shachani Hashem didn't send me. I made this all up. But that's not what's going to happen. Why? Im yivro yivro Hashem. But if Hashem will create a new creation, ufotsasoha domo espiho. And the earth will open up its mouth. And devour them and swallow them up. And everything that belongs to them. And they will go down alive to the depths, but they'll go down still alive. Then you will know that these people have argued with Hashem. Incidentally, I don't know if you saw the news. Baruch Hashem, thank God, miraculously nothing happened and no one was injured. But there was a, what do you call it? A, a sinkhole. A sinkhole. It's just very spooky that it was in Prashas Koirach. Yeah. If you saw the video, it's Mamish in the parking lot. But if you look at the video, it's Mamish what the Pasuk describes in this week's Prasha. <laughs> but thank God, a miracle, no one was injured, no one was hurt, Baruch Hashem. But it's a very scary thing, right? But Mamish, the earth opened, it's like unbelievable. It's like, it, it reminded me, I've told you this before, it reminded me of uh, once was, when I was a kid in Musenberg, as the Minag was in those days, we went to go to Musenberg in the summer, um, and I was in Shul. There was a little Shul there in Musenberg, and that and that some of you might remember this, but I don't remember who it was exactly. But there was a woman who had six children at once. This was 
Sorry? Six children. Yeah, yeah, one time. It was called uh, Sextaplas or something. Yeah. It's called, right? And it was in Prasha Shmois. Mm-hmm. It was the week of Prasha Shmois. And the rabbi got up and said, it's amazing that it was in Prasha Shmois because it's in Prasha Shmois where we learned that the, ch- the, the Jewish people became very, very... Um, they, they multiplied a lot in, in Egypt. And it has six expressions. And Rashi says that Hashem gave him a special blessing. He used to give birth to six children at one time. Which people, you know, say, oh, it's exaggeration. I was just saying, you know. And he says, look, this, this week's Prasha... And the woman gave birth to six kids. But, uh, and I was thinking about it yesterday, <laughs> this thing happened in Israel. It's my mom's just precious courage. Exactly what happened. Suddenly the earth opened up, right? Sorry, Captain Netanyahu also talked about the spies when he was trying to form a government and stuff. He said he related it to the Barsha, the spies. Yeah, look, that's a good word. I'm not much as accurate at that. But <laughs> yeah, I, know. I don't know. That's one of the more difficult things to figure out in, in this life. Okay. We'll let, them, we'll, we'll, we'll let them work it out. So, uh, so what happened? As soon as Moshe Rabbeinu finished talking, the earth opened up. Kairach and his whole family were swallowed. Um, and Dosan and Aviram, who were troublemakers. But the 250 people didn't die that way. 250 people died through fire. So actually two punishments in that, right? Everyone always talks about the pressure of Kairach. They were all swallowed up. They weren't all swallowed up. Um, some were swallowed up and some were consumed by fire. So, there's a very, very fascinating Gemara. Koirach, it's a big machloik is what happened to him. Some say he was swallowed up, some say he was burnt, some say both happened to him, and some say neither happened to him. Um, and he was died a different way, I'm not sure exactly what happened to him. So, but it, it seems, the simple shot is that he was, uh, he was swallowed up together with his family. The ones who were saved last minute were Koirach's children. Uh, Neither Tshuva, just at the last minute. Because that's, that's, uh, it comes from also Rashi in the Prashu, where Rashi says the Korach was actually a very, very smart person, so how come he, like, what does he think was going to happen? I mean, like, he must have known that possibly he was going to perish. So it says that Korach actually was a great man originally, and he had Ruach HaKadosh, and he knew that Shmuel Hanavi was going to come from him. He was going to have descendants, and Shmuel Hanavi would, would, would come from him. If we figured he's pretty safe. And he didn't realize that his children were going to do Shiva at the last moment, and they were allowed, and Shmuel Navi came from them. Came from him, but came from them, and he died. Okay. So, I mean, the simple fact is that Korach was swallowed up. Now, there's a fascinating, fascinating Gemara, a very strange Gemara, which says, it talks about the mitzvah of Bikur Choylim, the mitzvah of visiting someone who's sick. And Reish Lakish says, where do we know from the Torah that this is a mitzvah? Where do we know? So Reish Lakish said, from this week's parasha, why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu said that if these people are going to die normally like most people, and then he adds, look at it again, number four. Sorry, in, 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 in number five, I mean. Upkudas kol odom yipoket aleim, and they will be remembered like most people are remembered. Then I made this all up. What do you mean they'll be remembered like most people are remembered? So the Gemara explains what it means is that they will be remembered by people visiting them. In other words, if they die a normal death, which most people get sick, and when they get sick, people come to visit them. And then eventually, even if they don't, don't recover, they die afterwards. So that's what Moshe Benu was saying, because he adds in that expression. He doesn't say, he could have just said, if they will die like all other people, naturally, then I made this all up. But if it's going to be special, miracle, and the ground will open up, then Hashem sent me, right? And that was the sign. 
But he doesn't say that. He adds an expression. He says, if these people will die naturally, which means they'll be remembered like all other people, which the Gemara says to mean that people will come and visit them, then I, didn't make, then I made this all up. But if they'll die miraculously, then I'm, then I'm okay, right? So why does the Pasuk have to add up? Says the Gemara, from here we learn that it's a mitzvah to visit people when they're sick. Very strange source, no? Anyway, that's what the Gemara says. So the Ben Yehuda, who was the Ben Ishtai, a great uh, Sephardi Kabbalist, he says like this, this is a very interesting thing. He says, I mean, yes, it's learned from what Moshe Ben said, but why would this be the source of visiting people? So he says the following. He said, One of the, what's the concept of visiting someone who's, done, who's not well? What's the concept? Besides taking care of the person and so on, but it's a sign of unity, but also it's a sign of sharing in the pain. The Gemara says a very fascinating thing. The Gemara says that when you visit someone who's sick, you take away a 60th of their sickness. Yeah? Interesting. By the way, that doesn't mean that if 60 people visit, it gets better. It means whatever's left, you take a 60th, right? Okay. And obviously, that always ha- doesn't always happen. Hashem has different plans and so on. But, but that's the concept. So therefore, he says that the, 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 the concept of this happening comes from the concept of real togetherness. In other words, Hashem allows a person sometimes to be unwell first, people to come and visit, sharing the pain, even if the person doesn't recover, but there was this unity that happened before, before a person. Right? Now, Koirach was an interesting fellow, which we're going to talk about in a minute in more detail. But Koirach came professing unity and ended up creating a division. Right? But like the communists, like everyone's equal, but I'm more, but I'm more equal than everyone else, right? And that's exactly what Kairach did. So Moshe Rabbeinu says like this, I'm going to expose Kairach. If Kairach dies like everyone else, where there's an opportunity for real unity, through the mitzvah of Bikur Chaylin, through the mitzvah of visiting the sick, when people come together and they share each other's pain, and the person who comes to visit alleviates it, takes away a 60th of the sickness, and so on and so forth. Then it's true, then Kairach meant real unity. In which case, I'm in the wrong. But I'm telling you I'm not, because Kairach is not going to die that way. Kairach is going to die suddenly. He's going to be punished suddenly because the earth is going to open up and swallow him up. And there won't be this opportunity for unity. There won't be this opportunity for closeness. That'll be a sign they never meant unity in the first place. He claimed unity. He said, everyone's equal. Kulam kedoshim. But he didn't mean unity. He meant machloikas. He meant division. And that's what the Benish Chai explains. That's why the concept of Bikur Chovis in the Sikh actually has a connection to the story of Kairach. And that's why, according to the Gemara, it becomes one of the sources. But taking this idea a little bit further, I'll just share with you an insight that the Rebbe once shared in one of his talks. And he said the following. He was addressing this concept of why the punishment of being, of being, um, being swallowed up and the punishment of fire and why they both have to do with the story of Kairach and so on and so forth. So he addressed this whole idea of unity. What is unity, right? Because one of, one of the things we know, one of the famous concepts of Kairach's rebellion is that Kairach came with this message of unity. Equality, as they call it today. Everyone's equal, right? Everyone's equal. In the name of unity, oneness. Which is why Rashi says that Moshe Rabbeinu told Kairach and his people, wait till tomorrow morning, boiker, wait till tomorrow morning. Why tomorrow morning? Said Moshe Rabbeinu, you make no big mistake. 
Because if you wait for the morning, you will see that even in Hashem's world, there's not oneness. Hashem's world is a world of difference. For example, there are what Rashi calls gavulos. There are borders. Night belongs to night. Morning belongs to morning. The sun shines at night uh, in the daytime and doesn't shine at night. It's, it's two different things. There's day and there's night. You'll see tomorrow morning. You'll see. Boyka, wait for the morning. Maybe you'll realize that it's not a world of oneness. It's a world of difference. Where everything is different. And in fact, that's the way the world was created. We know that in Pirka Ovois it says that Hashem created the world with ten utterances. And says the Pirka Ovois, Hashem could have created the world with one utterance. Right? And the Mepharshim explained, what does that mean? Of course Hashem could have created the world with one utterance. But then it would have been a world of complete oneness. It would have seen a world where you don't see a difference. And Hashem didn't want that. Hashem wanted a world of difference. He wanted a world of fragmentation. Which, by the way, we see, we see how it works is like this. We see that Hashem created the world in three stages, in, in three levels, right? We've, we've said this before. Olam Shana Nefesh. There's space, there's time, and there's people. In, in space, there's differences. A shul is holier than a street. The Mishkan, the Beis HaMikdosh, was holier than the rest of Yerushalayim. In fact, the Mishnah, in, the Mishnah tells us about the holiness of the Beis HaMikdosh, that Eser Kedusha is saying there are actually ten levels of Kedusha. The Holy of Holies is the biggest level, and then, then there's the, the Holy, and then the courtyard, and Yerushalayim, and the rest of Eretz Yisrael, and so on and so forth. So that's in space. In time, we find there are differences. There's holy and less holy. There's Shabbos and the weekday. It's different. Shabbos is not weekday. Weekday is not Shabbos. That's the way Hashem created the world. You can't make every day equal. Therefore, says Moshe Rabbeinu, the same thing is with people. Not everyone's the same. Everything, everyone's got a different role. And in those roles, there are sometimes different levels of Kedusha. There are Koyanim, there are Levim, and there are Yisraelim. And there's a Moshe Rabbeinu, and there's the rest of the people. There's a Koyan God, Aaron, a Koyan. And the rest of the people, that's what Koyrach's mistake was. Now, why, why did Hashem want fragmentation? Why? Koyrach's got a good point. Isn't, isn't oneness the greatest ideal? Isn't Achtos, isn't unity the greatest concept? And the answer, of course, is... Of course unity is the greatest concept. But unity only really comes out when there's difference. That's what unity is. In other words, the true unity of the oneness of Hashem only is revealed when there's different creations who have different roles and different functions and act differently and have different missions and so on. When specifically there's fragmentation in the world and everyone and everything has a different role, and yet all those different roles contribute to the same puzzle, to the same goal, to the same value, to the same one God, that's true unity. Unity where there's only oneness is untested unity. That means that, you know, that, 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 means that, that particular presence can only be one in that context. But when you have a world which is filled with fragmentation, that is the ultimate unity when they're not fragmented, when each one keeps to their role and their mission, yet for the same purpose. That's on one level. Then the Rebbe says, and he takes it to another level. And he says, actually it's a bit deeper than that. Not only that they coexist, but actually the true unity of the fragmented world is that they have to give and take from each other. That's, that's how real unity works. Shabbos, Blesses the weak, correct? And yet the Gemara says, 
that Shabbos, that the weekday prepares for Shabbos. The greatness of Shabbos depends on how you work during the week. So Shabbos contributes to the week, the week contributes to Shabbos. Koyanim bless the people. How does the Koyan's holiness become? Says the Chumash, you've got to make the Koyan holy. By calling him up first to the Aliyah, by, by respecting him, whatever the case is. says, V'kidash You have to make the Koyan holy. Right? The Mishkan is holier than the rest, of the, the, the rest of existence. But who built the Mishkan? How was the Mishkan built? By people taking from their mundane resources and building a Mishkan. The Mishkan can't happen without the regular possessions of the common person. And yet the Mishkan gives such holiness to the common person. So everything in the world, the true unity is when there's difference, and the difference is mashpia and makabal. What happens is, so how does that work? It works like this. When Shabbos, let's take Shabbos the weekday for example. When Shabbos contributes to the week, and the week contributes to Shabbos, what's happening is, and it's a two-way street, and there's real oneness on that level, Shabbos is lifting up, elevating, something which is lower, and that which is lower is bringing into the creation something which is higher. So you've got a complete fusion where heaven is coming to earth and earth is coming to heaven and they're coexisting together. And each one only fulfills its mission when it relates to the other. So the weekday is only a proper weekday if it relates to Shabbos and a Shabbos is only a proper Shabbos if it relates to the week. The Mishkan is only a Mishkan if it's connected to, to, to the rest of the world. The rest of the world is only a proper world if it relates to the Mishkan. And the same thing with Moshe Rabbeinu and the people and so on and so forth. Like, 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 even, like we say, the, 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 the Amishol is like a body. Right? The head receives from the feet because the head can only fulfill its mission when the feet can take it where it needs to go. And the feet can only fulfill its mission when the head tells it where to go. Right? That's how it works. Koirach came to undermine that whole process. Koirach said, no, unity, oneness. That oneness doesn't achieve oneness, that oneness achieves division. So what Koirach was actually coming to do was to create the ultimate division where there's not, where there's not two different roles working together, where heaven and earth are not working together. Shabbos and weekday are not working together. Tzaddik and common person are not working together. Because you're trying to find, you're trying to ignore the differences and just go for the oneness. That doesn't bring unity. What happens then? When there's no unity, what happens? The heaven, the holier part, doesn't fulfill its mission and just disappears into the world of holiness, which is not the purpose of creation. And the lower form of existence isn't elevated and just keeps going down and being downgraded into the depths of impurity. And that's why two punishments that came about from the Koirach story was fire and being swallowed into the earth. Because fire represents, what is fire? Fire actually dis, dis, um, dismantles the, the different components. As it says, it says in many places, what fire does is everything is made up of the four components of the world, right? fire, water, and so on. What fire does, it dismantles the, 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 the object that is burning and most of it goes up. You know, that which is up can no longer relate and be connected to the tangible part where it makes up a proper object and a, and a functional object. So fire represents a concept that what is higher, like more, more spiritual, like the, like, the, like the wind and the fire, and, and, and the power of fire just goes into the 
disappears into the, into the realm of spirituality and doesn't fulfill its mission to contribute to a functional object. And that which is down just goes down, just becomes lower and lower, which is the symbol of Kairach being swallowed up in, into the earth. Which is why, according to one Medrash, Kairach himself got both punishments. Because he was the root and he was the cause for both problems happening. For the Koyan becoming more spiritual, not filling its mission, and the common person like Dosan and Aviram just going down, down uh, becoming downgraded and being swallowed deeper into the earth. And that's the relationship between these two punishments in the story of Kairach. But of course the takeaway lesson is that unity, and um, I guess without being too politically incorrect, that's the message for nowadays, nowadays society. Nowadays society is very obsessed with this concept of equality and everything and everyone being equal. And that's the completely antithesis of what Torah tells us. Yes, we're all equal in our mission. We're all equal intrinsically in our value. No one is more valuable than anyone else. But we distinctly have different missions and different roles. And that's what Torah believes. That's the fundamental mission of Torah. And it's only through those different roles where we achieve true oneness, which is the connection to Hashem and the revelation of Hashem in the entire universe. Have a wonderful day, everyone.